Before we start this episode, we want to tell you about a way you can make money with the footage you have lying around. That's right. So Dissolve is a company that licenses stock footage, but the interesting thing about them is they get footage from filmmakers like you. So if you get a bunch of footage lying around that you're not doing anything with, you can upload it to Dissolve and they will help license it for you. It could be clips from your short films, your corporate video shoots, whatever you got. Getting started is easy. All you have to do is fill out the application at dissolve.com slash apply. I think everyone can get good use out of this because it's really hard to make money as a filmmaker. And this is just one more way you can potentially return a profit of some kind. Yeah. And the application is really easy. So everyone go check it out. Give it a try and let us know what you think. And a big thanks to Dissolve for sponsoring the podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Dissolve. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Timothy Plain. And I'm Mark Brissell. Each week we discuss filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. Ulrich, you warned me you might be hungover today. Oh, yeah. Well, that didn't end up happening. Oh, really? Did you yeah, not go? I, didn't or you go just to, didn't I couldn't go to anything. Yeah, I had this police issue to deal with. So I missed uh, the screening to Sorry to Bother You, which I had tickets for that, you know, I couldn't use. And then I missed the after party as well, because I was waiting for the cops till 11 p.m. last night. Oh, um, wait. So this this cop thing happened yesterday? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I was, my friend's house got broken into and uh, I had to deal with this, you know, this thing all day. I was like on my way home from a shoot when I got the call, came over, saw the robber in his house, you know, had an encounter with the robber, waited for the cops to come. And then I was basically at my friend's house from, I guess, whatever, whatever, one thirty till till 11 p.m. What? Last night. Yeah. Oh, that's Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. It's pretty crazy. And, uh, yeah, it totally sucks because t- yesterday was supposed to be like a good filmmaker party day. Like I knew like a whole bunch of people going to both of these events and a couple of people I hadn't seen in a while. And it was going to be lots of fun. And I had to cancel on the whole deal and miss the movie. Uh, total bummer. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> i have to sad. see it with everybody else when it hits the theaters. Yeah. Gosh darn it. <laughs> so you said the cops are going to come talk to you this morning? They may, because um, they never showed up to take the second police report, because like, not only was he the house broken into, but then they came back and stole the car later. Um, so I still have to file the second police report. So I'm waiting um, to, you know... Uh, do that now basically so randomly in the middle of our podcast you might we might hear a knock at the door well yeah a knock at the door my or i might be like oh gotta gotta go i'll I'll be right back and then i'll be gone for (laughs) who knows how long Um, and if you don't come back we know that you're a prime suspect exactly that i've been arrested for (laughs) the the crime that i've reported (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah man i saw the guy i saw the guy and he was uh he was six feet tall right and he was actually my height it's funny (laughs) <laughs> um, anyways, ah, uh, gosh, I, I didn't really think we were going to talk about this on the podcast. Um, but yeah, it's been a very emotional day. Yeah. Know? Well, if you're going to get interrupted, it's good to let everyone know what right. happened. Right. I guess so. <laughs> well, we're not alone. The, the giggle you hear in the background is Renee Mao. And she's joined us to talk about how she went from graduating film school to becoming a commercial director. So welcome to the podcast, Renee. Thank you guys for having me. You're welcome. Um, so let's see, this is what I know about you. Cause I know very little. The uh-huh. reason, the reason I know you is because I worked with your production company, Greenpoint Pictures a few years ago when 
uh, Goodby had an office in New York and the, the last job they did was for the New York Post and we were producing something through Greenpoint Pictures. And I think, Renee, you were like handling some of the paperwork or invoices for me or something. And I remember yeah. you being at the front desk like when I came into the office. So when I got a LinkedIn notification last week that said, Renee is now a director at Greenpoint Pictures. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? A director? And so I went to the Greenpoint Pictures website and saw that you're on the roster. And then I went to your LinkedIn page and saw that you had like gone from like sales assistant to like office manager to director's assistant to a director mm -hmm. in like, I don't know, what is it, like three or four years? Yeah, it's been, uh, I think, three years. Yeah, since that I started working here. So I, I had to have you on the podcast to hear the story because <laughs> I'm hoping it lives up to my expectations. I'm, I'm hoping it does too. <laughs> Don't put so much pressure on her. Come I know. On. <laughs> so much pressure. But I think these are, this is interesting because a lot of people ask, like, how do I become a director? Yeah. And mm -hmm. everyone has these different paths. And I thought that your path might be unique um, in, yeah, in how yeah. it happened. Because I think a lot of directors tend to just go make a bunch of short films or music videos and then kind of sell themselves onto a roster yes. independently of having worked there. And I think it's interesting that you got your foot in the door by working there and then somehow convinced them to see you as a director <laughs> and not just an office manager, which yeah, is, which is yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's definitely um, a very unique situation for sure. Um, I know that I'm very lucky uh, to have found Greenpoint and starting working here when I did. And, and um, I don't know if you want me to dive into it now, but I- No, no, no. I want to hold back just a little bit. <laughs> okay. I, want to, I want to actually rewind back in time you yeah. obviously aren't from the United States, I can tell by your accent. So let's go back to where were you born and how did you find filmmaking? Well, take a guess. Where do you think I'm from? I know I told you earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to guess Australia. Okay, way. good. Because yeah. sometimes I get England or New Zealand. But I think the reason that, I mean, I don't know if you can tell, but my accent is very uh, faded at this point. So when I go home, actually. It's the so and the no. It's the so, yeah. It's on the O things, words, yeah. definitely. But uh, when I go home, they think that I sound fully American, which is pretty funny. But I, I do I do kind of like fall back in and out of the accent, depending where I am. Like when I'm around my family, I'm like way back into my true Aussie block accent, um, <laughs> yeah. which is fun, but. Yeah, I was born in Perth, Western Australia, uh, and I, my mum is Australian and my dad is Chinese. And he, um, he, so in high school, I actually moved to China, where I lived for a couple of years. Um, I finished up high school at an international school there. So that's kind of where I began to lose my accent because everyone, you know, at the school, either British or American. Um, so uh, Okay, it, sorry to interrupt. I yeah. do actually have to step away now, so I'll be back oh, no. shortly. Oh, well, good <laughs> luck. Right. See you guys. I right. hope, hope to talk to you again. Yeah. I hope he comes back. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I moved to uh, an international school called Western Academy of Beijing, in Beijing and it was uh, so amazing. It was an incredible school. I met so many great people there. Um, and that's where I kind of dived into film. They had a really interesting, like incredible actually for a high school program, a film class there that was, uh, you know, honestly better than most of my classes at NYU. Um, <laughs> I learned so much in those two years and just like getting our hat, we had really great equipment available to us and just, you know, like that kind of kickstarted my desire to like go to film school and become a filmmaker. How did you, did, or did you know 
before that point that you had some interest in it or it was really these classes that got you interested? Uh, I always knew. Um, I definitely have always had a interest in photography and and you know, filmmaking. I mean, from a young age, I'd always be, uh, you know, with my handy cam, shitty HD camera, kind of just like, I'd always be the one on family holidays, like filming and taking photos. And it just, (laughs) you know, like, I always felt more comfortable (laughs) viewing things from behind the camera than actually in real life. Oh, yeah, I loved it. I mean, I, I used to make these amazing videos, I'd make my siblings star in them and my pets um, for my for like Mother's Day, Father's Day, just, you know, it's, it was always like my gifts. And what I wanted to do was like to make movies and um, like, you know, say happy birthday or say happy Mother's Day through a little film that you make and and edit on iMovie. And I really loved that, like from a young age. But uh, at my school in Australia, we didn't really have anything sort of film related. I mean, the closest class to that would have been media studies. And it was all pretty much photography based. So I did pursue that. I was also pursuing music pretty hardcore. Actually, I was a uh, playing piano very intensely uh, when I was in, a teenager. So in Australia, kind of like I didn't really uh, find like a career path. Uh, it never really occurred to me that I could pursue a career path as a director or a cinematographer or in film because it just didn't kind of exist for me. So right. moving to uh, China and, and finding that specific class on film. I mean, I remember when we were looking at schools, I think I was 15 at the time, 10th grade we moved halfway through high school um went with my parents and looked at schools and I remember just wanting to go to that school immediately because I heard about this film class and even though I didn't really know what it involved I was like that's what I want to do and uh, yeah I got to the school and actually the class was totally full um and we this really sweet person who was taking me on a tour around the the school and on my first day he took me up to talk to the teacher and just like made a deal with him to let me into the class. I mean, it, it just was kind of like, you know, it felt like fate. Yeah. Um, but I'm yeah. sure that's a very popular class. Oh, it was because most of the people in that class were just there to get an easy credit. Um, yeah. you know. Or it just sounded fun. Oh, making movies. That oh, sounds so fun. fun. Let's do that. It really was fun though. <laughs> I mean, making movies is fun. I mean, it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Ideally. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of how I... Uh, that's my backstory, I guess. And then I, I graduated high school in Beijing and then came to New York where I went to NYU, um, Tisch. And so. why did you choose Tisch? Uh, so I didn't, honestly didn't look at that many schools in the US. Um, I, I toured Tisch and I also looked at USC, UCLA, a couple of schools in LA and then uh Emerson, I think I just kind of found those schools that had good film programs and applied to them. But I just remember when I came and toured NYU, I just felt like there was a really strong uh, international vibe. I felt like it was very global and I just loved that it was, you know, it wasn't an enclosed campus. I mean, in, in Australia, we don't really have the same sort of like college campus situation. Like you, you're much more independent, I think. Uh, in Australia with uni <laughs> um, but yeah so I just I really liked the the feel of NYU I loved New York I liked that it was just you know part of the city and that you could walk out of class and and you know not be still in this like college world just be like in in the real world so 
um, and just felt, you know, like I, I know the program, the film program there was so hands-on. And like when I was doing my tour, I just saw a group of students that looked really cool outside of Tish, like with a camera set up on a tripod filming something. I was like, that's so cool. Like that is what I want to be doing. Like the other film programs kind of didn't feel so um, hands-on and, and like you could get your, you know, make a film in your first year and yeah, I think that was one of the things that I remember that Tish offered that a lot of other schools don't. So I think a lot of those big film schools, you spend like two years in film theory before you actually get to go shoot anything. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know most of the schools that I looked at were like that. Even I think USC is, is a really, really good film school. But from what I heard as well, it was definitely more, it's just less hands-on. Like it's more theory, um, more studying, more writing and um, so yeah, NYU just popped out and yeah, I got, I got in and I was very, I mean, excited about that when yeah, I did. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a great school. And did you, did you know that going to school there probably meant that you're going to start a career in New York? Did you know that you weren't, were going to like stay in New York after you graduated? Well, that's an interesting question because I think still to this day, I kind of like think back to that time and I was like, wait, why? did I choose to come to the US again? Because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, Perth, even more than Sydney or Melbourne, is, is really on the other side of the world. It's really far away. It's really hard to get to. It's, um, it's the time difference is hard to stay in touch with my family and friends there. And um, I definitely don't, I never actually thought about that when I was you know, 17 years old and applying to college. I was just like, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to go to America and I want to yeah. go to the best film school. And like, and now you're like 20 hour travel away from your family. Yeah. I mean, that's really hard. Uh, it is. But, you know, it's, I think I just was like following my dreams as much as I could. And, yeah. you know, my parents were just supportive the whole time that they never said like, no, you're not going to the States. So like, you're going to stay close by and go to, you know, a local school where you're not going to get the same opportunities. And mm-hmm. uh, so they were just, you know, they encouraged me. And so I just felt like, you know, I shouldn't hold back. So, but yeah, it is definitely tough to be far away from home. Yeah. When you entered film school, had you thought about where your career was headed or you're just really a hundred percent pursuing your passion? I actually think I was a hundred percent just pursuing my passion. I mean, I've always <laughs> been, I've always been a dreamer and not necessarily a logical person. Um, so I think, I mean, I just, just was so excited and I know I want to make films and I still do, you know, I, um, and I feel like I'm on a great path to that, but, um, you know, in film school, I just was, it was, it never occurred to me like, well, I mean, obviously everyone has those moments of, is this really, uh, you know, what I should be doing? And what if I fail at this? And what if it never happens to me? Like, I think everyone just has that voice constantly in their head, you know, at the same time, you just have to kind of like push it away or, you know, depending on how you're feeling, I guess. Um, But Okay, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's all right. I was. I'm, I guess the question that we're trying to answer is: Did you have any sense for like what your career might look like outside of film school? Because right, I know when right, I right. when I went to film school, I, I think I did the same thing as you, and I I chose San Francisco to to go to school mainly because I didn't want to be too far away from my family, and I didn't. I don't think I had. I might have not had good enough grades to go into like one of the bigger schools. Mm-hmm. I don't totally remember it, and I think it was also the attractiveness of being able to shoot stuff right away. Um, yeah, but yeah. 
I don't think, and I I knew I wanted to be a director, but I don't think I knew what how to become a director outside of film school. I was right. just kind of like going to school, doing my thing. And in some ways, I think I was expecting it to be kind of like high school. If you just kind of do your thing, <laughs> you just kind of land in places. And right. then graduating from college, I realized how much harder it was to like get a career off the ground than I always imagined. But had you yeah. thought about like, did you want to be a director? Did you want to be a cinematographer, an editor? Did you even know what your life looked like outside of film school? It sounds like you, you were really just pursuing your passion and and just going yeah. with, rolling with the punches. Yeah, it's it's really hard. I mean, I don't really remember. I think in film school, you just get so sucked into everything that's happening and it's so exciting and you're yeah. just working on sets like every week. It's like a different set. You're making another film. And, were and you, you shooting kind of, a lot of films with other people? Yeah, yeah. I actually focused on cinematography at oh, film cool. school. I took a camera track because I just, I really felt like, well, I've always loved shooting as well. Uh, but I um, just thought, you know, there's so much potential to learn uh, so much more in that track than, say, pursuing directing where you spend four years working on one film. Or, um, <laughs> you know, right. like, because I it's was so actually still able to direct my own film, but I also shot, like, many 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 other films as well yeah, and like that around from project yeah. to project to project i mean i just wanted to be busy and just be learning every single film that i shot and worked on i just you learn so much and it's just such good practice and and camera track i mean as well it's a i know a lot of people that actually wish that they had uh you know shot or or studied uh camera or yeah. You know, those that kind of more technical side more because it actually is just an essential skill for any like anything you do in film, you know, and it, I think it also helps build your confidence as a filmmaker. A lot of the jobs that you actually have to do if you're kind of trying to get into this directing, shooting, editing, you know, like the more on set roles, I think a lot of them require, especially when you're like straight out of college and or you're just trying to crack into the industry. It's like you have to do everything, you know, like I know so many people that uh, were hired into these roles where they were like directing, shooting, editing, just doing, you know, they're a one man show. And it's like, I think those yeah. camera skills are just, you know, invaluable. And that's happening more and more these days where, yeah. you to, where oh, yeah. the need in the industry is for filmmakers that can do everything. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a huge plus if it's like, oh, uh, I can direct and I can also edit um, and shoot and, you know, just gives people this confidence. And uh, I think personally, like coming from a background of cinematography, it's so helpful for me. And I mean, I couldn't direct without that knowledge because um, can't like camera and the visual aspect of storytelling is so important to me that uh, like I need to be able to communicate with the DP on on the same level. I need to be yeah. able to understand everything uh, that he's or she is understanding and, um, you know, be able to communicate what it, it is exactly that I'm envisioning. So I yeah, think it's just that's, that's so That's a important. huge advantage for you. And how many films do you think you shot during your time at film school? Um, I probably shot... Uh, ooh. I shot a lot. Uh, I, the thesis films, uh, like senior year level films, I probably think I shot around three. Uh, and then, you know, in general, just shorts and other sort of stuff, I'd say like 10-ish. That's great. And yeah. did any of those go on to win awards? Yeah. Uh, so we have... Uh, I One of my um, good friends who is actually 
also my roommate. Uh, he, we started collaborating our freshman year and I shot all of his, you know, uh, freshman year level films and sophomore year level films. And then I shot his third year film, which was an improvement. And then we did his thesis together and that one uh, won a lot of awards at the NYU First Run Film Festival. And it also, he entered it into uh, a bunch of different festivals. I think it premiered at the Indie Memphis Film Festival. Um, so that was really awesome. That was one of the best, uh, experiences of, for me shooting, uh, from film school. But yeah, I mean, we, my film, I actually directed a film as well, uh, that was more experimental, but that film also won a couple of awards at first run. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I won the cinematography award for my friend Matthew's film, uh, at first run, which was great because, uh, they did open, they have like two categories. It's like general cinematography and then cinematography for female cinematographers. So I, mm-hmm. I, I got the award for the non-female specific category. So I <laughs> felt pretty proud about that. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I didn't get it based on a handicap. Yeah. I fairly beat those other men. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And did these festivals or awards open any doors? Do they lead to anything? Ooh, that I think... Uh, uh, I think for the filmmakers, it's that's a tough one because I think at student level, I mean, I, I think the, the thesis films that I did shoot that did well were very good quality, but still student films, you know, and still like your first short that you're making. And it's like, are you, you know, it's there's so many mistakes to be made and things to be learned and, right. and you know, not, not a huge amount of money. And but all weren't these there people. people in school that thought that like, winning awards and making it to festivals was going to like be the start of their career. Definitely. Uh, and you know what, maybe that does work out for some people, but I, I don't think I, I honestly, I, I think I see it as, as that film that you make like your thesis, like your student film should be just like the start of the momentum to make the next one. And just to keep, you know, to me, it's like, I've only made two short films, but the film that I made at NYU, I, I mean, it was like five days that was equally the best days and worst days of my life. And I just learned so much in that time. And I just, all I wanted to do was apply what I'd learned to the next one and fix all the mistakes that I'd made. But I didn't actually give myself the chance to do that for probably a while. I mean, last year was the, uh, I think it was in November, I made only the second short that I've ever made. Uh, So it had been about three years since I'd made that film in, in film school and just even doing that, you know, and it's, it's kind of just always, I don't think people should get hung up on that one film, um, like creating a path for success or like getting into the festivals and getting, you know, it's like, you just need Mm -hmm. to keep making stuff because, you know, and I, I have friends that have made incredible, incredible films that, uh, you know, don't get into the festivals or they, they don't get into the festival that they're dreaming of that was going to, you know, give them the name that they needed to get this job or like get that, whatever it is. And, and it, it it's it's really hard to not to not place so much value in this industry. It's like obviously festivals have so much value, but you can't let it discourage you from or f- let them define how you see yourself as a filmmaker or how uh you um think how good you think your film is you know yeah right well i think there's like maybe two philosophies to filmmaking or making a career of it and 
one of them is just taking it one step at a time. I kind of see it like like climbing the stairs. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of people I think that are thinking about just like they want to jump in the elevator and just skip all that. Yes. I mean, everyone thinks that like, and it's also, it's <laughs> yeah. tough as well. I think with, um, you know, our day and age with social media, cause yeah, you all, all you do is you go on your Facebook and Instagram and you just see other people's success, right? And compare yourself and to compare everyone's yourself. success. I know yeah. that's all we're going to talk about that all the time on this podcast. And we, we say it, we tell each other like just stay in your lane you're doing your thing they're doing their thing you can't compare you can't and everyone is at different stages of their lives and you just never know how and why things happen you know in people's lives and you just can't I mean it's just so impossible not to though you know yeah like but that's why I like hearing stories about how filmmakers get to where they they do because it's always a different story yeah and that that just makes you realize that there's no one path you know it's not just entering festivals winning awards and then that starts your career that's not the only way to do it and for a lot of people that's not the way it happens no yeah yeah so how many years were you in film school was it a four-year program yeah it was four years and i i graduated early so i did three and a half years oh wow good for you i graduated late oh no i did four and a half years i was pretty pissed because you uh didn't have enough credits or what was yeah for some reason the the my school counselor didn't tell me until like the last year or something like oh you know what you're not accruing enough credits to graduate on the time you're gonna have to do an extra semester it's like great thanks for all that help for the last three years wow that's really messed up yeah i think they just wanted extra money oh that's really messed up yeah man so that's terrible so so what what class did you take in that last semester oh what was it I don't remember. You're just doing like one class. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I probably was smart and just broke it up so I didn't have to just take one class. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) But yeah, I don't remember what it was. Um, But yeah, I was not happy about that. (laughs) So when you're you're getting near the end of to graduating, were you starting to think now like, all right, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay in New York? Am I going to move to LA? Am I going to go back to Australia? Or was it just a for sure thing that you're just going to stay in New York? No, I definitely was starting to think about all that in my last year, Um, especially for me because I am on a visa. So uh, to me, it was uh, very, I kind of started to realize like, oh, I should be trying to get some internships and and trying to get a job because uh, I I wasn't... trying to stay here specifically or trying to move anywhere i just i've always had the mentality of of kind of like i want to be doing what's best in my career and doing a job or freelance or doing something that makes me happy in my career and wherever that leads me i will go and live (laughs) so for for um for new york yeah i just uh i kind of just started applying to internships actually i think i only applied to one internship and it was at greenpoint pictures Uh, (laughs) so so, easy yeah it was i mean i yeah it it was the summer i think before my senior year and i was like i should stop just crewing all the time and getting set experience and i should actually try and get an internship and Mm -hmm. and get some real experience at a company um agency i mean back then i didn't really understand how the industry worked at all sure yeah but, me either until I, until you get into it you don't really know no yeah you don't it's now it kind of seems so straightforward but i remember when i first started here i was you know it was took like a good 
four to six months to really understand how everything was working and getting familiar with all the names of these agencies and companies and how everything works and uh, everyone's roles. So uh, yeah, I, I applied to an internship here and then and got that. And then basically uh, right as I started my internship, the office manager at Greenpoint Pictures was leaving. And so they were looking for someone to replace her. And so I think it was my second or third week and they were like, are you interested in this job? What? <laughs> um, Amazing. So, yeah. And it was great for me. Actually, actually why I graduated early because it was my first semester senior year and I was doing an internship two days a week. And I kind of just spent that semester training for the job. And then I graduated early because I had all these extra credits from high school for some reason. So I was able to graduate early. I also studied abroad. So I was all good on credit, so I ended in December and uh, started working full-time at Greenpoint in January. And what is the office manager's job? Uh, it's it's kind of evolved over the years, but it's really, it's it's a hard job. It's um, especially, I think, with companies, our, Greenpoint Pictures is a small company, I would say. You know, we have about 10 people full-time, including our edit staff. So it's it's small. Everyone has very defined roles and a lot on their plates. So the office manager really, I think, a huge part of the job was uh, being kind of like your business affairs accounts person, like you'd have on the agency side. So like handling anything money. Uh, we do have, you know, like extra help with that, like someone that an actual accountant as right. well. But really on the everyday, like in-house aspect, it's like you deal with money um invoicing managing all that kind of stuff managing so i was right you did send me invoices i did i definitely invoice you for that job <laughs> that was me um and then you know there's like a huge client services aspect of it because we have a posts department here and um we have clients in all the time and and it's you know part of the office manager's job to to like manage um manage that you know, so that is a huge part of the job. And then beyond that, it's kind of day to day office. I mean, any sort of office problems, maintenance, uh, buildings <laughs> right. falling apart. I mean, we lit, we, our office is in kind of like an older building in Williamsburg. So there's like a lot of problems with it all the time. If it's not like a leak in the roof or, so, you know, it's every day there's something, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a lot. It's, um, it's also kind of was helping everyone with with extra things that they needed help with, uh, like our producers and uh, our owner and, and sales. Like it's just you kind of cover all these bases. Uh, I remember being very full on and it was very busy, but uh, those first six months were great. I mean, I just felt like I was just learning and absorbing all this information. And um, it, yeah, it was it's, it was great. So you're in this in this role and yeah, six months go by and you're starting to now get the hang of it. Are you looking around now and going, all right, what else can I do here? Like, or is there, is, is Greenpoint going to be like a, a long-term solution for me or are you just still just kind of going with it? No, I definitely was, I mean, even before taking the job, I was like, oh, I don't really want to be in the office. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I'm <laughs> yeah. like, this is a great opportunity, but like, this isn't my dream job. Um, you know, I knew what it entailed and I was like, oh, I really don't want to work in the office. So was there a little bit of a dilemma of like, should I take this job or not? That I think, I think so. Um, 
definitely was considering it, but I also, you know, I knew it was a great opportunity and I, I loved the company and I was like, this is a great place to start, you know? And so I took it and it was great and I did learn so much and it really was a great job to kind of just get into the industry and lay that base foundation of just understanding how everything worked and starting to build up those relationships um, and connections and, and within the industry. But yeah, definitely within six, you know, after six months, I it got very uh, restless, you know, in the job. And I think what's great about uh you know, Greenpoint is that they, once you're kind of like part of the family, it's like, we're a very family feeling company. Like everyone's right. very close and care about each other. And, um, you know, it's a social sort of workplace. So I think that after getting to know me and after I started to really, um, become a part of the family here that my boss, uh, Michael, like, you know, started to really care about what I wanted and what my, um, ambitions were. And he kind of, we kind of talked and, and he was like, I mean, I, I was always honest from the start, like, you know, especially after, you know, a year passed, uh, I was like, I really want to be, you know, get into a more creative role. Like if there's anything that so it was just creative up, role, it wasn't like, I want to be a director. I want to be a cinematographer. Or I want to be an editor. It's just, I want to be I more mean, creative. I think they knew from the beginning that I wanted to be a director, but I think everyone also knew that you don't just become a director. It's like, I, I, I just wanted to like get <laughs> yeah. my hands on anything that was not in the office, you know, like, right. and, and cause no I had, more invoices. No invoices. I don't want to call the plumber again. Yeah, man. Invoicing. Oh, and that's yeah it's, it's not much worse than invoicing um you know following up on money and stuff yeah. but hey checking in on this payment yeah Maybe i mean think we might see it hey yeah. i'll wreck you back i'm yeah. so glad those days are behind me i have a question what were your other options i mean at that point i it was like my first internship i was doing and i hadn't even really gotten to the point yet of considering applying to other jobs so the job kind of fell into my lap pretty quickly and i was like oh i gotta take this opportunity uh, so i oh, wasn't okay. considering really so other you, companies and you weren't considering doing anything else you were just like i should just do this basically yeah it felt i mean i definitely thought about it uh but i i think it's I don't think I would have been able to get a better job than that, you know, at that point in life. Like it, it right. was a really good, it was a really great opportunity. Um, yeah. Like what your other options would have been is like start PAing on for other jobs or like, you <laughs> right. know, yeah, like yeah. get another internship or something. That's a good yes. point. Cause I remember I knew about the PA, PA route and I decided not to do it. I was yeah. very conscious. Like I don't want to go that route. Yeah. That route scares me because I'm like, you could how do you break i mean you can be a great pa yeah. and then how do you not be a pa anymore just, i mean i still figure that you, out you just stop being a pa in my experience it's like you just stop doing it that's how, how it worked for me it's just like one day i stopped saying yes to those jobs you know yeah but uh, a lot of people don't stop saying yes to those jobs and they just do it for a long time and there's nothing wrong with that like i totally respect people who decide to just do pa work and i think like you know, given the right circumstances, I might do it even again, you know, especially helping a friend, you know. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm not trying to disparage PAing or anything. Um, no, of course not. <laughs> it's the most important job. But, I mean, I think it's like a really, um, it's a good, interesting thing to think about because, like, if you were like, oh, I'm not sure about this position, it's like, you know, what else would you have done? Like, I mean, it just seems like it was a obvious choice. I think and, some people might have been know. like, ah, that's not for me, and they just would leave and just go try to 
struggle somewhere else and try to figure <laughs> it out. Because I definitely yeah. feel like there's people, especially right when you graduate film school, you feel like you're owed a certain level of job. You're like, I trained for four years. I'm ready to yeah. start shooting and make things. And I know a lot of people in my film school just went out and started their own production company. Like yeah. that's what they just did. And I don't think those production companies survived because they didn't really understand how the business worked and they didn't really understand what the expectations were. They knew how to use a camera. They knew how to edit. But when there's like a level of service and quality that's expected of you and you don't know what that is, and I think it's hard to compete with anybody else. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I considered all this, uh, some really good friends of mine did the same thing. They started their own production company and they, they were actually really successful. They're still together four, five years later. Uh, and they're, you know, they're, you know, still small, but they're just growing slowly and getting bigger jobs. And, um, it's, I just would never have wanted to do that. You know, it's a lot of responsibility. It's a lot of responsibility. It's like kind of like, to me, it was just, uh, I don't think I I could have done it any other way than starting in a, you know, less important role and then just observing everything around me and learning what everyone did like what does the sales rep do like why do you have like reps all around the country and what do they do and what's their role like what point do they start the conversation and then what point do they like hand that over to the the ep and you know um everything you know there's so many intricacies and i couldn't have just started a company and then just learned that from experience you know like right. I, yeah. but that's for what somebody who wants to be a director do. out there why do you think it's important for them to even understand that stuff they, are they just creative people? Shouldn't they just worry about the creative stuff? <laughs> they ca- could. I mean, you could put yourself into a box like that. But I think it's so essential to know because it's as much as commercial directing is, you know, creative in hopefully, you know, you get jobs that you do actually have creative control. You, it's also like a game, you know, you have to, it's a business. It's, you have to know yeah. like, who's the person that's getting you the jobs? Like what, what's your role in actually getting, it's all based on relationships and um, uh, connections. And you you got to know the system. You got to know right. like who, like where, where your reels being sent out and who's sending your reel out and what do those co- yeah. conversations look like? And then like, whose responsibility is that? And you just, otherwise it's like, you know, <laughs> You're just sitting there waiting for a job to fall in your lap. But like, there's so much work that you can actually do as a director to, to be helping those jobs come in. Yeah. And understanding the hierarchy, I think is always really important too, you know, um, right. Which, the same like, way or is the same reason yeah. you PA on a set. So you can exactly. understand the hierarchy of that system. Yeah. And I would almost argue for advertising, like being inside a company the way that you, Renee, and Timothy, you as well were before you guys got to your creative positions. Um, I think that's actually really valuable and really important. And one of the things I was going to say earlier was that like, you know, you're saying, oh, it's a little unusual to like start from inside a company and like work your way up to director. But it's like we have two people on this podcast who did exactly that. Like Timothy started <laughs> in janitorial services or, or what I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> it's actually, what's it called? What's it, it called, Timothy? It's facilities manager. Facilities but, manager. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's very similar, Renee, to what you did. <laughs> oh, but interesting. I, but I only had to take care of the building. I didn't have to do invoices right. or anything. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's crazy! So what were but, you doing, like car like washing, calling, calling the <laughs> calling the plumber when the toilets broke, or um, yeah, hiring a contractor to install stuff? You know, yeah, yeah. Like, 
It does, it's like yeah. a full-time job on its own. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. But like, but look at you now, like, you know, years after, you know, I don't remember how many years you're a facilities manager, but I you was, did that was for two, almost two and a half. Yeah. And then you were a producer and like, you've been producer for years and you worked your way up as a producer. And now you're like, you know, you do some EP work there and, and you also direct commercials. So it's like, you know, I would argue that getting in a, in a company and paying your dues is a good way to get to that creative position, yeah. potentially. Not not that it'll work for everybody, you know, obviously, but I mean... Well, yeah, and I'm, what I'm hoping proof. we get to with Renee is that the way to do it is to keep telling people what you really want to do. And, I, and she already said, like, from day one, she was very honest with them and said, I want to be in a creative position eventually. And I did the same thing. Like, I was never like, yeah, facilities is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I was always like, I'm a creative person. <laughs> I'm really passionate I, yeah, I'm about facilities. I'm very passionate about managing. facilities. <laughs> and I was like, I write outside of work. Um, and when I was in the company and and starting to get to know people, I was like organizing film festivals and I was making films and I was just doing stuff on the side. So everyone saw that that's like, where my passion lies and lies and whenever anyone asked me what do you want to do i'd be like i want to direct films yeah i that's so important too to to be showing and not just saying it not just being like i want to direct or i want to produce and and then just you know sit and you're at your desk and be miserable all day and not do anything to like <laughs> right. kind of work towards why that won't or anyone that? give me a chance to direct why <laughs> yeah, won't you just yes. give me the opportunity yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to actually just go and do it. I I say it's like you have to create your own opportunity. You can talk all you want, but until you actually go out and do stuff and prove that you're going to do it with or without someone's help, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, that's so true. So you, when you're in this position, you had like no master plan for where how to get to where you want to be. You're just kind of like, I'm going to do the work and I'm going to say what I want. And eventually, hopefully something will happen. No, I mean, you, it's not, I don't think it's healthy to have a master plan because nothing ever goes to your master, like the way that your master plan uh, is in your own mind, you know? So I, <laughs> I, um, no, I definitely got restless in this position and kind of was considering what else to do. But it's, it, sometimes I think what I learned is, uh, I mean, I don't know. I still, it's still uh, something that you have to kind of deal with. It's like, you have to be patient um, and you have to not be constantly uh, just try and look for the positive things in your situation and how you can make your situation better rather than leaning into this negativity, uh, which I think like, I'm sure so many people deal with because no job is perfect. And especially when you want to be in a creative role, and you're not doing that it's like i think that can get really suffocating and yeah. upsetting and like especially i mean for me i struggled so much with it because you know you're in an office job and it's like you're you're working fixed hours monday to friday and it's like i would love to not be doing that and i would love to be completely freelance and just like i i love set life i love the I love like being off for a week and then just working like for 16 hour days for a whole week. You know, I, that, that kind of work style is what I want to be doing. So it is really tough to get, um, if you're like that, to, to end up in an office role and, and to stay positive and kind of keep when you don't know exactly how it's going to turn out and what's going to happen. It's just, 
you know, I don't even know what I would say to myself from like two years ago because I know it was really tough, you know, and I didn't know, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was definitely considering like, should I leave this Mm -hmm. job? Like, should I go work at another company? Like, what role am I going to get that's like not administrative? You know, like I don't have (laughs) other experience. Like this is the only job now. But then, you know, like having these conversations and with with people here and also just building relationships with people here. It's like you become valuable in a way and, and people want to invest in you. And that's kind of what happened with me. And, and eventually I kind of, they opened up, they created this role for me that was more creative. So I kind of became a director's assistant. They hired yeah, a new what office is that? manager. That's a fake job, right? It's, it's actually a real job. I know that it <laughs> it exists at some companies. Uh, it's I know that it, I think it's more like a, if you have a bigger company and you need more help internally in house with like smaller projects. It's like you do a lot of treatment work and um, help okay. with sort of like creative things in house. Um, and I yeah, I mean that that role is creative for me because it's it's like a stepping stone like one step closer to being a director it, get, it opened up some more opportunities for me to get out of the office a little bit and um shoot some really small things going on like if there was you know a, a shoot that needed two um, camera people and just to film an interview or something like that like that i would be the go-to person to do that and then there's like an event capture or smaller projects that we had to handle in-house i kind of just like moved into this role of taking that over and then building people's trust that way and like oh like I'm totally capable of doing that like oh let's like give her a slightly bigger opportunity and um then you know that uh, helping as well with um on different productions like our bigger productions in house like helping directors with pre-pro and casting and locations like going on set with them is all part of like just kind of grooming me to like become more of a director. And what did you learn from all these experiences being this director's assistant and watching other people work? What did you pick up? Uh, I think one of the most important things for me was uh, like I did a lot of work on treatments, like writing treatments and um, helping coordinate them and photos, layout, that kind of stuff. And that's such an important part of the process as a director. Uh, so that experience was great, just that practice. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, from, I, th- I think like from a learning perspective, it's always doing where you learn the most, but like, I definitely was able to help with pre-production in a way that I kind of got a better sense of, of the process and, um, would like do casting with some directors and, and like kind of just get us get a sense of timelines and like how everything came together and like who was working on the project like um that kind of stuff so right. it definitely helped uh and I, I still was in that role like extremely restless and i oh, was really? like oh <laughs> really yeah you weren't like oh man i'm doing it i'm making it happen you didn't no that i mean to me i was like <laughs> to me i was like someone just i just need that opportunity to like show that i am capable of this because i know that i can do it you know like this is easy like i can do it so i was you know that's my kind of attitude <laughs> but it was it, you know it was also tough because because even though it was more creative, I'm still in an office job and I'm still not getting like the, I wasn't getting to do what I, getting the responsibility that I wanted to have. Um, but you know what, like last year, uh, about like a year ago, I just, uh, 
what changed for me, I think, is is kind of like snapping out of this. Uh, I think I was in a bit of a negative space about that and feeling kind of trapped and feeling in this repetitive kind of job cycle and that nothing was moving forward and and that, you know, nothing really mattered. But then I just snapped out of it and I was like, you know, I actually decided to apply to AFI, um, which is a film school oh, in LA. Yeah, yeah. And I just did that because I was like, I want to just, you know, do something, apply to something, have that opportunity open, you know, just create some options for myself. And like for that application, I made a short film and that kind of just like started this like whole thing. Like after that, the next month I made a short piece for my friend uh, who was a singer, like, and then the month after that, I did another piece, you know, just started like kickstarting my own momentum and in doing some more stuff on my own because I wasn't doing that for about a year and a half. I was feeling incredibly unmotivated and like, (laughs) you know, like, oh, it's not like, it's so hard. Like what, what am I going to get out of just like making something on the weekend? And and I don't know, you know, just there's so many excuses, but that really, really started um, everything. And then, you know, in literally six months, I kind of like built up a reel and. Wow. And now was that reel all just short films and spec stuff that you did? Yeah, I had, um. I had I have done a couple of very small branded uh, things in house here, like something for Google uh, and something for Pepsi. They're very they're not like spots, kind of they're like very small like in house pieces that aren't exactly real pieces. But uh, the the things that ended up in my reels, uh, my short film that I made, um, it's still it's still getting finished. I'm actually just mixing it at the moment. Uh, but I have that, and then I have another short doc piece that I had done about a year or two ago. Uh, we a couple, a group of uh, friends and I went down to Houston, and we filmed. We made this piece. Um, we we basically filmed all of these kids, these elementary school kids, um, whose teacher had had them all write letters addressed to Donald Trump after he'd been elected. Um, had them just read their letters for us and then we kind of followed a couple of those kids around and got to know them and and it was a pretty solid doc piece um and that ended up on my reel and then uh, say this uh kind of music video slash short film about my friend amy who's an incredible singer and poet um i i just did that at the end of the last year and i'm just finishing that up now um but this i mean this i did yeah, there's all sorts of small things that I've kind of done that have added to this. That's what's uh, and then, cool about the small things is you don't realize how they're adding up until all of a sudden you look back and you have this reel now of work. Because the same thing happened with me too. Like I was yeah, doing like yeah. small thing here, small thing there, but I never really felt like it was really leading anywhere until I had enough pieces to like build a reel. And then I was like, oh, look, you know, that looks actually pretty good. I have a reel now. And that mm-hmm. started to open doors. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like you don't know, like one piece can do nothing. And then in six months time, it like it means something um, because of, you know, the subject matter or, you know, whatever it is, like everything is important, no matter how small it is. Um, Did you feel better about your job as the director's assistant once you started making your own stuff outside of work? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just uh, like you know, that's what I want to do. And just everything that I worked on, I was just so much happier, you know, I'm just like making it happen and directing the short film that I directed was just so fun. 
like it was um it just it really kind of like motivates you and makes you for me it, it re-motivated me and kind of helped me kind of feel like I was moving forward and working towards something. <laughs> right. Rather than waiting <laughs> at green point for opportunities to yeah. make you feel like you're moving forward, you just kind of started doing stuff and that helped give you momentum. And then it's almost like the two in tandem feel like they're working together in some ways. Yeah. And I just, you have to create your own path. Like you can't just wait for someone else to, to like give you an opportunity or make something happen for you. Because if you create your own work and your own path like other people then get excited and that's when it happens you know like yeah it's it's all yeah it's tough it's so tough honestly but so you make this real and then did you show it to your uh the people at greenpoint and then and then is that how well then it was the next step after that or yeah how did conversations around you becoming a director start uh i think it's you know what? I can't even remember like a specific conversation. I think it was just I was like starting to make some more films and people were starting to take notice and um, everyone here like responded so well to the short film that I made and that was really exciting. And then I got this awesome opportunity to direct this uh, spot for March of Dimes, uh, which was like definitely like a huge a huge job for me um and it was great you know it's about i don't know if you guys have seen it but it's about uh basically badass moms like pregnant women and new moms and their babies and just like portraying them in a very empowered uh and confident light and you know we made we wanted to stay away from your traditional like emotional and pulling on the heartstrings sort of like mom and baby spot and we tried to do something <laughs> yeah. like very energetic and like badass and um cool. yeah it was how did awesome. you get put up for that job uh whew, i the agency is a is a smaller agency called purpose they're awesome they do a lot of work with non-profit clients um and i know uh someone that works there and uh, just kind of got in the mix that way and yeah bid on the job against two other companies and oh, nice uh, wrote a treatment just, that's awesome yeah wrote a treatment um it i mean went through the whole shabam and yeah it was it was awesome and you got the job it, it went so well i was super excited about it doesn't that feel good when you bid against other directors and you win yeah, I mean, it does. <laughs> I definitely. Uh, you guys have uh, to tell me what that feels like. Uh, I, I lost one recently, so uh, I'm just like, oh, gosh. I mean, yeah, I, I've, I've lost I've two, I think. In the, well, I guess one, technically. I just bid on a job that um, went, went on hold, which was unfortunate. Okay. But yeah, yeah, it definitely feels good <laughs> to win. So, so that was, was that your first, like, commercial directing job basically that you call like a real one or uh so right around this time that all this stuff is happening actually like kind of once i'd been seen in this light i think like all these small jobs started popping up so i actually did this i directed a small uh commercial for meals on wheels with richard gear actually we like drove down oh, to wow. syracuse cool. uh, and filmed richard and his dad and interviewed them in his house and uh, so that like happened simultaneously. And then also this other job uh, that for Success Academy that I just directed as well, like smaller than the March of Dimes jobs, but it kind of like all just started happening at once. Uh, so, I, you know, it's like those things are going to come out and 
um, it feels, you know, it, it kind of felt very continuous and, and now it just became official that I like I'm on the roster now. So yeah, I just yeah. hope that it keeps flowing. <laughs> so the meals on wheels one, was that through Greenpoint? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And, and the other one too, uh, that you mentioned, uh, success. Yeah. That's, yeah. that was through Greenpoint as well. Wow. Cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty exciting. It's yeah. all at once, huh? Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it just, uh, now I'm in a great position where it's like, I, people are, have confidence in me and there's no, um, you know, there's full confidence that I can actually be put up for these jobs and no one has to stress about it or, and I have the experience and I have the work to show for it. So yeah, it's good. So does it's this good, mean but... you're no longer a director's assistant at Greenpoint? Yes. And so is your you're relying on money as a director to survive? Well, I still um th- that's an interesting question because I'm still full-time here at the moment but also kind of directing so I'm still earning a salary and getting director's fees so um, Oh, look at you. Yeah. That's the best of both worlds. Wow. <laughs> so they're giving you a director's fee and you're getting a salary too? Yeah, yeah. I wow. mean, I think we Incredible. just we need to like sit down and sort out actually what we're going to do moving forward cuz it's kind of like the the goal is to keep directing so full time that I'm not, you know, in the office really. Right. So that's definitely. Um, Are you worried at all about having to sustain yourself just through director's fees? Uh, I'm. <laughs> that's definitely a good question. I'm not at the moment. Um, I think my goal would be to to be obviously doing that and just working freelance. Uh, I th- I have a lot of people around me that are doing it and surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I don't know. I think it's something that I'm going to find out in the next Seems doable six months. To you. <laughs> Seems yeah. doable. Yeah. Yeah, I've done the math myself sometimes and I'm like, wow, can I can I make that work? I don't know. Yeah. I'm still gotta, pulling a salary right now. Gotta do the make the leap, you I know. I know. You just gotta make the leap and then you'll just you'll yeah. figure it out. Exactly. <laughs> I, I speaking from a freelancer's perspective, you know. But yeah. I mean like I'm not a freelance director, I freelance and produce and shoot and stuff, so I do a lot of other things. Uh-huh. But um but yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'd love to say I was just a freelance director. One day I'll say that. Oh. One day. Oh, and do you ever have? <laughs> do you have the uh, the stress and the fears of freelance life? Um, I I, I used to. I don't anymore. Just because um, I know how it goes with the ups and downs, you know. And if it's a slow time, I know there's another job right around the corner, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I try to use that slow time to be pr- productive on my creative projects, you know, which has been. This year, pretty good because I had really slow January and February for work, but then I was just like all the time working on my feature. So it's been, I've been That's pretty awesome. good with that. Yeah. Yeah. My uh, a good friend who I know from NYU, she's also my roommate, <laughs> talking about both my roommates on this because I love them so much and they're very inspiring uh, people because they're both just killing it right now, uh, making films and just like doing, you know, the whole thing and and succeeding awesome. with it my my friend uh annie she's she's been writing a feature for a few years now it's probably been four ish years and she's finally actually going to make it this summer it looks like and just like seeing her go through that process and casting getting the funding and everything it's like it's so inspiring you know it's like i think as a creative person and a lot of people actually want to end up making films uh it's it's such an 
unfathomable idea to just make a feature and get a feature off the ground it's like where do you even start with that um so it's it's really cool to see people around me actually do that you know yeah, yeah I mean, totally. hearing all the stories from of Ulrich doing it and it inspires me too <laughs> oh that's yeah. good have you made your feature Ulrich not yet I'm still raising money so I'm uh I've got a long way to go to get to my green light number but I'm getting there slowly you know, a little mm-hmm. bit more, you know, every month, new opportunity, new pitch meeting, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm meeting new people all the time. And mm-hmm. like, I have a producer on board, um, but my, it's like my, my job to bring investors to my producer. Yeah. So he's not going to do it for me. So um, that's just like what I'm constantly on the hunt for is like the next person who is interested in sitting down and, and, and hearing a pitch from us, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I'm trying to find through this podcast like more tips on how to find these investors because it's such a challenge, you know. But mm-hmm. no one seems to know. <laughs> it's everyone's how... struggle is the the yeah, financing exactly. part of it. Yeah, it's all just yeah. the personal connections is is all I keep on hearing. So it's like whatever connection you can get from whoever, it's like just pull on every thread, and you know that's what I've been doing, and it's been working out pretty well so far. Yeah, you know. Um, so I have a question for you, unless Timothy, do you have a specific question about something we're talking about? <laughs> I do, but go for it. <laughs> I'm just curious, like, so you're in this position now, like you're a commercial director, you have multiple spots, you're, you're on a roster at this great production company. Like, what's the inspiration now? Is it like, keep on directing bigger, better commercials? Like, yes, now I want to do a Toyota commercial. Now I want to do a Sprint commercial or whatever. <laughs> or is it more like, okay, now I want to be creative and like, you know, make my feature. Like, what what is your ambition at this point now that you're at this amazing place? Yeah, well, I definitely uh, am excited about getting more commercial work and also just the practice that comes with that. And, and what's great about that is that you're exercising your creative muscles on every job that comes in and it's, it's fun and it's different, but I, what matters most to me is working on the next short and working on, you know, I mean, feature right now is still, I haven't started to kind of think about that yet, but I do like it's starting to kind of be on my mind and and that might be I'd say like in 6 months time like maybe that's something that I'm going to be putting my focusing my energy towards because for me I mean I do want to end up in narrative film like that's my dream and uh I love making films and shorts and so like it's so important to me to be working on a short because that's where you know my uh that's where I get happiness from. So I mean, right, exactly. That's uh, they're going to keep me inspired, and like I, I ideally, I, you know, I'll, I'll be directing commercials and and doing this, and then also have time to be doing that and working on a short and uh, eventually a feature. Do you know anybody that's making a living as a filmmaker that's not doing commercial work? Does that exist in your world? Question. Because we've talked to a lot of people, and like I think also partly because I'm in advertising. Everyone I know that's like a filmmaker that's making a living being a filmmaker is also using commercials to kind of pay for or supplement a big portion of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what? I don't actually think I know one person that's not doing something on the side although (laughs) I do have friends I mean everyone has a job on the side Um, most of them are in advertising Uh, but some are like my roommate Annie she's an actress as well so she like earns the money through being 
an actress and then works on her films on the side. So she's actually oh, not cool. dappling in commercials at the moment. <laughs> Good but Oh, so she counts then? Yeah, you she totally counts. Gotta count her. Gotta count Annie. Most people I know that are, that are pursuing directing and they want to be film feature film directors, they're all dappling into commercial directing at the moment. It's just... It's just kind of like the yeah, obvious not. way to make money. Yeah, it's know? so interesting, though, because I, I feel like I didn't learn that in film school. No one told me in film school, you know what, if you want to make money at this, you should probably look into advertising. I didn't even know advertising was an avenue for somebody like me until I yeah. just fell into it. Yeah, I don't actually think that they teach you anything about advertising in film school. No, I didn't learn about treatments. I didn't learn. I didn't know about like agencies. I yeah. didn't know that there's production companies just for commercials. Yeah, no, that's I. Me too. I learned all of that when I started working at Greenpoint. Um, it's like a whole different world to film school. And then, so are you working on another short right now? Do you have something that you're planning to shoot soon? Uh, I actually, I'm not working on a narrative short at the moment, but I am working on a kind of short film that's kind of going to be a dark slash music video. Uh, I'm calling it a short film because it is going to be a film, but it's not going to be scripted. It's going to be led by, um, we're, we're actually making a film with a drag queen named Panthera. He's, she is awesome. Um, that's so cool. yeah, we're we're working on that. I'm I'm doing it with a good friend of mine, uh, oh, who's nice. also a director, producer, editor. So we're we're that's our kind of passion project right now that we're working on. I'm hoping to shoot that next month. Oh, and that's so cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm actually like just pulling together some, you know, starting to get ideas for a next short because mm. uh, that's that is what I want to do next. So yeah. Just to quick on the shorts really quickly, um, I'm just curious, like, what's your process for making short films? Like, do you have to raise money for them and then go out and gather a crew and hire people? Or do you just get your friends together and do it and, and spend as little money as possible? And then, yeah, yeah, let's start with that. I have more yeah. questions, but let's start with that one. That's it's a good question. Um, the last short that I made was such a small scale short. It all took place in one room and had three actors. So I was able to pull that off with just um, friends helping out. Like no one got paid. It was all friends pulling favors and it was a tiny crew. Uh, probably at 10 people total and then just those actors um, in one room so I paid for the location and then paid for like a day of of food and you know logistical things but that was very low budget it's able to pull that off for for a small amount of money but most of my ideas are actually very unachievable <laughs> without <laughs> lots of money right. um, so it is uh, I think probably the next one there'll have to be some fundraising involved um i mean even when you're doing even i'm talking my my last short that was such a small scale i still spent like probably three grand on it oh wow Um, okay so it's you know a, a friend of mine is making his second short at the moment and he's got already got a budget that's nearly 20 grand and wow, that short yeah. is it's a three-day shoot and it's all taking place in one location it's like three actors but it just adds up like crazy yeah you know? it does um, definitely so i think yeah it's it's kind of it's fundraising it's also um friends of mine have done a really good job at kind of like getting involved with grant programs and uh you know doing applying to programs like um 
I don't know what they're called. They're kind of like a, like workshop programs kind of that last for a semester or something right. like that. And then developing relationships through that or like applying to a organization and going to events with them and just networking that way and getting kind of you to know people and getting people interested in investing in you. Um, yeah. So that's really like if you're proactive, like that's a great thing to do. But grants, I mean, I think are a really good way to get money uh, for yeah. shorts. And then what's your goal with your short films? Like I, I was just having this conversation with a filmmaker off the podcast the other day, but like when, when you're done with a short, where do you want it to go? Are you trying to get distribution? Do you want to put it online? Like what's your focus there? Yeah. Well, this, uh, this short that I made last year, I actually made it just in mind for my AFI application. So I wasn't really thinking about anything else, but now that it's done, I want to definitely put it into festivals. And I mean, ideally I'd have it premiere at, at a festival somewhere and then eventually have it come online or maybe um, short of the week or something. It, online is really important. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I think impressive these days, you know, if you get your, your, um, short online on film shortage, or like getting a Vimeo staff pick, getting it, you know, getting attention on online forms rather than just festivals. I mean, ideally you just have both. So you have your like festival premiere and then you have your online premiere. Um, that would be the goal. And, and, uh, I think, yeah, that's a smart way to do it. But I, I think yeah. with this short that I made, I'm not like, I'm not, kind of putting too much pressure on it because I didn't make it with all of that in mind. And um, I don't actually think that it's a good thing to to just make a film with festivals in mind right. and with, with like exactly. where it's going to end and, up. Because and knowing yeah, what your ultimate goal is for that doesn't help you make a better film. You no, can't be exactly. like, I want to make it into Sundance, so I'm going to make a Sundance short. What is a Sundance short? Yeah. (laughs) Just make the best short you can and then maybe you'll make it into Sundance, but there's nothing you can do to make that short better equipped to make it into Sundance. Yeah. Right. I guess the the thing that, you know, I was talking about with this filmmaker was that, you know, he was all about distribution for his short films and trying to get it on platforms like through a distributor or just through the platform directly and not have it be free online on Vimeo and YouTube because in his opinion, that's less professional than if it's on Amazon Prime or these other services. But I was Mm -hmm. just curious, like you too, Timothy, like, what do you guys think of that? Like, do you think it's more professional to have it like distributed on Blu-ray through a production company or some distributor or, and then on all these VOD platforms and including Amazon Prime, or is it, you know, just as professional and acceptable to have it on YouTube and Vimeo, you know, for free? I think, uh, from from the success that I've seen friends have like releasing their shorts online I think it's a really strong way I mean it 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 really matters if you have like a short online on Vimeo or on one of these like streaming uh, like short of the week or whatever it is and you get like rack up like a lot of views on it it's uh, to me it feels just as valuable as having like a festival um, acknowledgement on it or um, you know I think it's for me I, at least from my experience um, Amazon Netflix that kind of stuff if for shorts like I don't know a lot of people that have that have had shorts kind of come out on those sort of platforms right especially it's, not Netflix yeah it's it's I guess like maybe less accessible to people I mean I think when you're making shorts and kind of just trying to get your name out there it might be 
better to re- just release it online and just get exposure that way. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I just, I yeah. know a lot of people <laughs> yeah. haven't. I guess the other question, like the thing you were saying is like, oh, well, if I send it to my, my, my aunt or my mom, like they're not going to go on, they don't know YouTube or whatever. They don't do that. But like, if they, they, they want to get on the TV, they can go to Amazon prime and <laughs> turn it on. And there it is, you know? Um, I mean, that was just one example, but I mean, basically like, the other question would be like if you put it on YouTube or Vimeo and you don't get into Shore of the Week and you don't get a ton of views and you only get like a couple thousand or whatever, like to me that's no less professional in my opinion. Me either. But I don't, but, I don't but see the differentiation. I, I just I mean, want to make it as easily accessible for people right. as possible. Exactly, because you want people to be able to see your work and you want it to be shared. Like to me, like a distribution deal on a short film doesn't really mean that that person's more or less professional than the person who has their film on Vimeo or YouTube. You know, no. I feel like it's just a different approach and a different, like you know, like we had talked to our friend Rob who was on the show and he doesn't have any of his films available online. They're only available either at festivals or through distributors or on PBS or whatever. And that's just, that's just the way that he likes it. He doesn't want, he doesn't care about having it available to the public, you know, right. but the I'm public's not, saying not that, his audience. Right. He wants some highbrow intellectuals to, right. To or he it. just, or this, that's just not his thing. You know, like he'll put trailers on Vimeo or whatever, and he'll send direct links to people, but he just yeah. doesn't care about having it be out there in that way, the way mm-hmm. that Timothy and, and my work, is out there, you know, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just, my whole point is that I think both are acceptable and both are totally professional, um, you know, just ways to go. But I just yeah. wanted to hear from other filmmakers, like what you guys thought, like, do you even, what do you guys think? Of all I think stuff? it's just as professional. I agree with you. I think okay. I, I'd be very happy to have a film kind of live online. And even if, yeah, as you say, even if it doesn't get recognized, yeah. like with a staff pick or a, or a premiere somewhere like it's I think it's just as professional yeah I, I will say so I had a conversation with a, um, a an advisor let's call her she's she used to work as a, a financial agent at CCA uh, years ago um, but um, is it CAA or CCA I can't remember CAA CAA yeah, C-A-A. yeah don't creative artist idiot. agency yeah, CAA. <laughs> Anyways, so I was like, she she put me on the spot. She made me pitch my movie to her, and um, she and I in my pitch I include how many views my films have, and they have like you know it's like two hundred thousand views or something like that. Uh-huh. And one of her pieces of feedback was like, yeah, unless you have over five million hits on your views you oh probably shouldn't mention your views like not even a million isn't even enough it needs to be like more than two million and that's the kind of numbers that people find right. impressive because now now the world we live in so she's like <laughs> bragging yeah. about your twenty four thousand dollar a year she's salary like, she's like it makes you seem des- <laughs> desperate if you say views and it's under like two million basically wow and i'm just like holy shit that's insane but i totally see your point and i will not brag about my views anymore <laughs> just don't and call I'm, them out <laughs> no i'm gonna take it off all my because <laughs> i think it's even in some of my bio materials like no no more view mentions not until i hit five million on, on my yeah. directed films wow but that yeah sucks. i just i thought that was really valuable a, a little insight from a professional that i think was valuable to for listeners to hear so that that goes to my friend's argument because he was like unless unless you get millions and millions views don't even matter so like might as well get distribution that sounds more professional i disagree though views do matter because you never know who's gonna watch it 
Right. And if you that's have a hundred thousand people watch your movie online, that's yeah. you have one in a hundred thousand view chance that it's the right <laughs> yeah. person that sees it. If you show yeah. it to twenty people at a film festival, that's only a one in twenty chance right. that somebody that's in that true. film festival might. <laughs> and, do and if you have a it. distribution deal on Blu-ray or DVD or whatnot, who knows how many people are going to buy that? If yeah. anybody, and if they do buy it, how many people are going to watch it? And if it's part of a collection of shorts. Are they going to even watch your short or will they be comparing your short to the other short next to it? And Exactly. You know, you'll get lost in the shuffle. Like there's all kinds of other things. I guess you could argue, though, that the people watching the Blu-rays might be more in a position to help you out. Maybe right. they're only watching Maybe. things that get distributed because they're like, oh, this is the cream of the crop. Maybe. Yeah. But, I don't know. But like the Just Shoot It guys who we're friends with that always say on their podcast, it's like, you know, sometimes it's better to go Hollywood viral, quote unquote, where like you don't get like a ton of views, but like it's all the right people who are watching it, you know? Yeah, right. So, mm-hmm. I mean, so that's a, a, a vote that like, oh, even if you have a thousand hits, like, is it the right a thousand hits, you know? Right. Or it's like, like that whatever. movie, um, The Fist Fury Way with Danny McBride right. and that Jody Hill directed. Like, I yeah, guess. The, the Fist Foot, 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 foot fist. fist way, yeah. It yeah. got like passed <laughs> around to, but through all these comedians and people in Hollywood yeah. saw it, and that like got those guys their next job. But it never really got. It never became a famous indie movie. Even now, I don't know if a lot of people well, have really seen it. It's famous probably for a few people like us who you know know <laughs> filmmaking. But, you know. So my last question to you is: Do you think that you found your voice as a filmmaker, or are you still working on that? Ooh. Uh, hmm. I think that every time I make something, I find a little bit more of my voice um, and develop a little bit more of my style. Uh, so yeah, no, that the answer would be no. I think it's so important to just keep making stuff. I wonder if even someone that's made like 10 features has really found their voice. I wonder um, that too. I wonder if you ever really feel like I know strongly what my voice is or if yeah. you're constantly evolving. Or if you can watch your films and be like, oh, like that's my style. Like I get yeah. it. Like that has me written all over it. Um, I definitely have like an emotional feeling about what my voice is, but I don't know if I can really say it in words. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Or if you can watch your film and be like, that's, that's like my style, like that kind of shot right there or like the way that that, you know, it, it it, you, someone could watch your film and be like, oh, Timothy directed that. Yeah, I, I don't think I ha- I'm ever going to have a style where somebody could just watch it in without a title and say, oh, that's that's a Timothy Plain film. Well, really? I don't, don't think say so. that. I don't think... That's some stupid shit. I think it's, I almost would say that between Over My Dead Body and Spirit Machine, that you have a little bit of a, you, your style comes through in that movie, in those movies. But who knows know. if that's going to stick, if those that visual look I is going to stick around. I might totally You never know. Change but you never know. One. You never know. I feel like and what you, ties and... me, I'm. I hate to compare myself to Spielberg because that's stupid, but I think in some ways Spielberg... (laughs) Well, you you don't have to. (laughs) In some ways, I think Spielberg's what ties all his movies together is more like a thematic or emotional element than it is like a stylistic thing because I think his movies look different from movie to movie and you can't really... Although he does have like some signature camera stuff and signature yeah. blocking, so maybe I don't know. Maybe I'll figure it out. But I don't think <laughs> I don't think I have it yet. I don't think you're gonna figure it out consciously. I think it's something that happens It'll unconsciously. Maybe. Yeah. Like I don't even know if you could say you could see similarities in my movies, but I feel like there is some sort of vibe or style or some sort of elements that are similar. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know, but maybe not. I, I'm, you're I, casting. I don't know. 
When I was having, I had a AFI interview about a month ago and they were just like interrogating me about this kind of stuff. Like what, tell me like exactly what kind of stories you want to be telling. And like in 10 years time, like what is the story, your dream story that you want to tell and what kind of films do you want to make? And it's actually really hard to think about that stuff. <laughs> you know, what I mean? yeah. it's like, it's like defining they're really trying to define like what I was passionate about and like what stories mattered to me and what films I liked and why. And it's really like, I like to actually sit down and think about that um, is, is very interesting because yeah, it's not I, easy to do, but I think it is important to be able to somehow explain to people what you're interested in. So if you're in a situation where let's say you're talking to an agent, if they're getting a bunch of scripts, they kind of know what to pass on to you. You know, how, how would you describe to an agent what kind of films you like so they could pass that thing on to you? Even right, if it's as simple right. as like, I love movies that take place in reality, but just have like one thing that's out of place, like a zombie or a monster <laughs> or yeah, an alien, right. you know, and then they can be like, oh, OK, so, yeah, if I see one of those scripts, I'll pass that on to you. Yeah, yeah. it's it's it is important. So are you still waiting to hear back from AFI to see if you got in or not? Um, I already heard back. I did get in. <laughs> you got in. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, my Thank goodness. You. So yeah. you're going to AFI then. Well, actually, I'm, I haven't uh, decided yet. Wow. Holy moly. <laughs> actually haven't told anyone oh. here at work yet oh, that I got really? in. Oh, really? Is it okay to keep this on the podcast or do you want to? Yeah, yeah, of course. No worries. Okay. Well, I mean, my, my boss at Greenpoint actually had to write me a recommendation letter, so he knows. Oh, <laughs> uh, Okay. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it's it's. I think it's really bad timing. I think to go to grad <laughs> yeah. school right That's now. That's a um, huge opportunity, though. Right. I think you should do it. Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a tough question because you're already directing. You have a professional career. You're already a professional director. Yeah. Do you really need to go to school to make more connections? Um, maybe. Right. I guess it depends. Like, do you want to make J.J. Abrams style Star Trek movies? And <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of do. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I do. Okay. Then, <laughs> then maybe you yeah, should go. No, because LA is yeah. the place to do that. Yeah. And AFI is the place to meet the people yeah. that are going to get you in that position. When, when someone told me about, they're talking about grad schools and they're like Columbia versus AFI. And they're like saying Columbia is more like, you know, the Wes Anderson, like art house type filmmaker. And then AFI is more like the J.J. Abrams, like Michael Bay type <laughs> filmmaker. So like, you know, and that, that person didn't like those types of movies. And, you know, and then I was like, well, obviously not AFI then. But for you, it sounds like AFI is the perfect place you yeah, know, to go. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I mean, it's I would love to go. I think it's good. I think it really is an awesome program. Do and it's, it. Do but it. I, I don't know that it's the right time, you know. Do like it. I, well, yeah. look, there's only going to be one open door for AFI. There's going to be many open <laughs> doors. Wow, you true. guys are really pro AFI, huh? Well, because, it, I mean, especially as someone who didn't ever apply to grad school and won't apply now for various reasons, like, it's, and it's and something I wish I had done, you know, when I had the opportunity, I feel like. Yeah, you should. I'm not saying that I couldn't do it now. I could, but I just, I don't want to. Yeah. Right. And just know like, we're like 10 years past you and where we are in our careers. <laughs> and we, right. and there's regrets for not doing things like going yeah. to AFI. Like, like this is the only chance probably in your life that you'll have the opportunity to go to AFI, you know, at least at this, especially at this time in your life. So you might as well go for it. Yeah. Right? What are you like 25? 
Yeah. 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 Do it. <laughs> We're like, yeah. yeah. You're 25. Yeah. You can always it's, direct commercials while you're at AFI exactly. in Los yeah. Angeles with new clients. And it's not like Greenpoint's going to forget who you are or take you off their roster necessarily. They might even they, rep you while you're in LA. They, yeah. Don't they have an LA exactly. office? <laughs> they, well, yeah, we kind of do. Yeah. Um, Dude. The, done. The, the done. main thing, done. the, the done. main thing for me. Okay. <laughs> I would stop talking. this person at AFI if you're <laughs> like, yeah, I'm a sign up. director. I just directed this commercial and I'm signed with this production company and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but like, I think that's like what most people kind of are ultimately trying to achieve once they've graduated film school. So like it doesn't, and also, you know, that just, it's expensive and it's like, is it worth it? it considering is. that I'm well, already- connections. It will, because if you, if wanna, you stay yeah. at Greenpoint and you're just directing commercials, you're never going to meet the right people to get to that, where you want to be in the feature film world. And AFI will get you there. If I will open those yeah. doors, and so you'll have you'll have both connections to draw from the Greenpoint in New York, yeah. and then you'll have the LA thing. I think it's it's yeah. You'll you'll you probably don't realize it now, but in ten years time, let's say you'll look back and you'll say, oh, you know what? I missed an opportunity. <laughs> if, if what you really want to do is to direct feature films at that kind of in that studio system world. yeah if you're if you wanted to only direct commercials and that was your ambition to like direct coca-cola commercials or something and right. you didn't care about narrative features then yeah exactly keep on directing commercials but if you want to direct like blockbuster hollywood movies in the studio system go to afi yeah it's not yeah. gonna happen staying at greenpoint <laughs> no exactly i mean i can't say not it, they're no, good, but, it, but it's going to be way, you're going to have so much more advantage if you yeah. go through that program, you know? So, yeah. Because so yeah. much of film school I, I, is about the yeah. people that you meet in it and where they end up in like five to 10 years after they graduate. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. and being in LA in film school is, is what gives everyone an advantage when they graduate because yeah. all those people end up just staying in LA and getting jobs in the industry and you're friends yeah. with them. I feel like a lot of people, though, also end up not being able to get into film and then, you know, directing. Well, I don't know, yeah. actually. It's, it's, I've heard so many stories and right. mixed points of views about it. And There's no guarantees. But, but that's you for also, sure. exactly. But you're already ahead of those people who um, may not, you know, may not have gotten what they wanted because you're already ambitious. You're already successful. You've already done something that a lot of people can't like never do or, or, or don't succeed at doing. So you're already in a different category than the people who failed because you've overcome obstacles already. So if you're put into this, this environment where there's more obstacles, you're just going to overcome those obstacles too. So <laughs> oh, well, I don't that's, know. That's really encouraging. Thank you. Yeah. I don't know. Someone told that to me too. Cause I was like, complaining about going to Los Angeles and like, oh, I don't want to go. And, and I haven't gone yet. Right. But uh, they're like, oh, Rick, don't worry about all those stories of people who like go there and get other jobs. Like that wouldn't happen to you if you moved to Los Angeles. And I won't know that until I do that. But it was kind of good advice because, you know, it's just all about the personality that you are. If you're like, are you a hustler? Or are you not a hustler? You know? Yeah. Um, and obviously you're a hustler. So <laughs> I don't I, yeah, know. <laughs> I like to think of myself as a hustler. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, you are. In three years' time, you went from being an intern to on the roster as a director. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. 
and That's then in like some hustle right there yeah right and then in five years you'll be directing like you know thor six or right something and we'll or be like hey, remember when we had renee on our podcast we had renee now on our Aww. podcast oh that was so cool maybe she'll return this next email yeah. I hey renee remember <laughs> us <laughs> will you come and talk about directing this big movie you got in oh wait she changed her email address damn it yeah. you'll forget uh, us yeah well, I got to run to work, so we should okay. go to the final five. Is that Let's cool? Renee, is there anything else you want to talk about before we, we wrap this up? No, I think so. it's final five, like final five questions. Yeah, there's final five. It's like just kind of rapid fire questions. Oh, yeah. okay. I'm surprise. not good at rapid fire. I really am not. Lightning round time. Yeah. <laughs> I do want to just um, wrap up this whole conversation with just what I hoped the story would be is very much what the story is. I, I did oh, kind of good. imagine that you might be like pushing a little more, but I'm kind of glad to hear you just kind of did your own thing and you just kept talking about it and you just made your own films and you made your own opportunities and I think it's an inspiration to hear like that like you know this is my experience too that um, you can if you can get your foot in the door at a place that does work that you admire and then just soak it all in and learn all you can and just keep telling them what you want to do that it can end up well for you and you can get to a place and even though you're going to be frustrated for a while because you're just doing an office job, stick in with it and just keep talking, keep making stuff and it could turn into something great. Yeah. And just keep making what you want to make. You know, if you want to be a director, then make the film that you are passionate about yeah. or make the music video or the site, whatever it is, the documentary. Yeah. Um, and don't wait for somebody to give you an opportunity. No, yeah. make your own opportunities. Your own. Um, All right, so yeah. oh, here are the final five. Uh, this is these are just questions we are asking every filmmaker that comes on the podcast, just so we can hear how everyone answers them differently. The idea is for you just to answer in like one to two sentences. So <laughs> the first is: David Fincher says you're doing pretty good if you can get seventy percent of what you want from your film. Do you agree? And if so, what percentage are you getting from your films right now? Uh, I definitely agree with that. I think there's so much, there's so many people and so much process involved in making a film that I think it's actually impressive if you end up with a product that is what you originally wanted. And I also think that it's something that you get better at the, the more you practice and the more experience you have. I mean, ideally it's like in 30 years, I'll be making a film that's like 100% what I wanted it to be. But the first film that I made was about 10%, if, if that, of <laughs> yeah, what I wow. wanted. Sounds about right. Yeah. I think that's a, probably more of an honest answer than some have given. Although, I don't know, maybe people feel the way they do. Anyways, sorry. Shouldn't <laughs> include that in this. Um, what's the thing you struggle with the most as a filmmaker? Ooh. Man, these are hard. Uh, okay, what is something I struggle the most with? I don't know, uh, like with with filmmaking, like narrative filmmaking or with commercials or just in either, general. Either, mm -hmm. in general, yeah. Uh, Rapid fire, Renee, man, I'm not good at this. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is something I struggle the most with? Like probably, uh, oh my God, I just, I don't know. Like with, with commercials, I just, I've had such a great experience with what Everything I've been doing. Everything just comes that, like, so easily to you, hasn't it? 
Well, I mean, yeah. No, just kidding. It's not been that easy. But I mean, I guess the struggle with commercial directing is like losing, uh, you know, like figuring out how much control you actually have over the end product and, and relinquishing some of your creative input and what you would do if it was all in your control. Um, I think opening up to that collaborating and working with other people's ideas uh, and letting your ideas take kind of a backseat, I think would be, I I guess, kind of hard, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, you're always struggling with that and finding that balance. Um, And often your voice kind of gets pushed aside and that can be, it becomes more business than, uh, you know, creative. So I think that's probably pretty hard. I think every commercial director struggles with that. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, if you thought the first two were hard, this one's even harder. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you could travel back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, I'd say I would, any time in my life that, especially through college and right out of college, that I had said I could said like you shouldn't do this or like you shouldn't keep shooting you're not uh like not not good enough but like you're not going to work hard at it enough to be as good as another cinematographer or you shouldn't you know whatever it is that I was like oh you shouldn't do this you should just focus on that I, I would say just just literally do everything you can do anything and everything that you want like you have all the skills and and uh it's it's not about um it's not about how hard you work at something and how, and whether you commit to one role. It's like it's about your confidence in yourself and uh, getting it done. I just say don't limit yourself, you know. Nice. Um, do you have a goal as a filmmaker? Yeah, my goal is to make uh, a feature film um, and become a narrative storyteller uh, making shorts or features or, you know, that is my goal that my broad goal, I guess something more specific is probably what you're looking for. Um, no, I mean, that's acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And the last one is making movies hard. And if so, why do you do it? (laughs) Uh, I do it. I mean, it is hard in a way, but also, not hard because it's so enjoyable for me um i do it because i love it and i've always loved it and it's there's you know when i'm working on a film and directing a film that i am passionate about there's no better feeling than that and it's just i know that that's what uh is going to make me happy and that's what i want to do so there's still so much to figure out and so much to learn. Uh, and, you know, maybe in five years, I'll answer these questions with a little bit more wisdom. But uh, <laughs> I love that you know, we captured you right at the beginning <laughs> of things. This is, yeah, this is great. This is it's, the it, right time to talk to you. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's what keeps me going because I, I know I know that it's what I really want to do. And I, I really I really uh, get a lot of joy out of making films. That's awesome. Well, awesome. All right. Thanks so much yeah. for coming on the podcast and telling us your story. This yeah. definitely lived up to my expectations. Okay, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you both. It's been yeah. fun. So where can people find you? Do you have a website, like a reel online, some your favorite work 
put 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 someplace like where where should people go yeah i would say go to my website it's just www.reneemao.com or you can find me on greenpoint pictures website um which is www.greenpointpictures.com and yeah i mean stuff that's in the works is coming out over the next month so uh and hopefully i'll have my short film out as well but uh if you want to contact me to get a preview link if you guys want to see it i'll happily send it to you oh yeah we'd love to watch it um and then do you have a twitter facebook any of that stuff instagram yeah uh facebook just renee mao and then instagram actually my instagram handle it's so embarrassing but i'm gonna say it it's mayonnaise m-a-o-n-a-y-z uh and then no twitter no Twitter. No Twitter. For Get me. on the Twitter. Get <laughs> on the Twitter. Really? I don't know. Everyone says that. I mean, if you're going to go to AFI, it. you have to be on Twitter. Oh, kind of. Man, I yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I'll work you on that. You don't have to. You don't have to. <laughs> I was just talking. I was. I shot a, a lecture yesterday with this guy who's like, you know, kind of a real life, uh, real player one type person, like yeah. creating virtual worlds and their whole conversation was like, how can we get people off of Twitter and Facebook off of these centralized monopolized, like, you know, ad based, uh, networks and get them on like decentralized, like, you know, free networks where people can communicate and talk and hang out without having to deal with ads and being sold stuff, you know? Mm. Um, so, but I don't know if that, what that would look like, or even if that's even possible. But because um, I feel like as soon as you create that network, companies are going to figure out a way to get in there and monopolize on it, you know? Right. Um, anyways, that's another podcast. <laughs> um, but oh. uh, thanks again, Renee, for being on the show. It was lots of fun. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you want to get in contact with us, you can send us an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at MMIH Podcast. You can also visit our website at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find the things, that, uh, links to the things we talked about on the show, um, including all of Renee's work, her short films, whatever is available, and then, of course, all Greenpoint stuff and her wonderful uh, picture and profile on the roster just because I feel that's like a dream of uh, all of us directors to have that roster placement <laughs> on a website. So I'm sure everybody's going to want to go check that out. Um, and then... Yeah. And then you can also sign up on the website for our weekly uh, emails so you can get all the show notes delivered to your inbox fresh every Monday morning. And you also should check out the filmmaking community uh, group on Facebook that we have. It's a indie filmmaker community is what it's called. So there's lots of conversations and discussions going on there. So Renee, I don't know if you're on there, but you should be. Um, I'm sure that people are asking questions that you might have answers to. I'm going to invite her right now. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Thanks, Timothy. Um, and yeah, and then finally, lastly, if you like the show, just spread the word. And then you can also leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't have to re- leave a f- full review if you don't want to. You can just leave some stars and that would be amazing. And yeah, thanks again, Timothy, for bringing Renee on and for this wonderful episode. And Renee, again, thanks so much. It's been great. Yeah. Oh, thank you guys both and everyone that's listening. It was a pleasure. Definitely reach out if you have any questions. Awesome. Awesome. All right, everyone. Have a good week. Bye. Bye.